Well, good evening, everyone. It, it truly is an honor to be here this evening with you all. You know, it was April 1986, and I was two weeks away from finishing my second year of college. I was 20 years old, and I was engaged to be married to the man of my dreams. I was 20. I was just a baby. But I was engaged to be married, and I was so excited about this adventure. And on this particular spring day, I sat in a room with three other women. And we were waiting for a meeting to begin with the dean of women at the college. And her name was Arnette McCray. And we all admired and adored this woman. She was everything that we had hoped to become one day. Arnette was our mentor in our leadership role as RAs of the college. And all of us looked forward to our weekly meetings with Arnette. She was the type of woman that had so much wisdom, so much intuition, and she would continually speak into our lives. Well, this day she entered the room and she sat down and she said, girls, I want to conclude our year together by sharing two things with you. One, a quality that I've seen in you over this last year as you've worked with your group. And two, I want to tell you a hope that I have for your future. And I remember waiting with bated breath, wondering what Arnett would say about me. What kind of future would she project on the screen of my life? I couldn't even focus on what, the other, what she was saying to the other girls because I was filled with anxiety about what this woman would say. She brought my, me back to my attention when she said my name and she said, Carolyn, I see in you a quality. And you know what? To this day, I can't remember what it was because that was 32 years ago, but I will never, ever forget what she said about my future. She said, Carolyn, I long for you to find your identity, your security in Jesus Christ. Not in the qualities that, that you possess right now, not in what you're going to do in your life, not in Todd or in the friendships that you have, not in what other people say about you. I want you to find your worth in Jesus Christ and what he says about who you are. Well, after that meeting ended, I, I put that movie reel that Arnett said about what my future could be, and I put that in this imaginary memory box that I would end up bringing out multiple times in my life. And as early or as recently as this past week, you see, we all have voices of doubt. We all have voices of insecurity, and they whisper threatening messages to us. And sometimes it's not a whisper. Sometimes it's an actual shout about who we are. And if we allow that message to linger very long, it will steal our contentment, it will kill our confidence, 
and it will destroy relationships and careers and even futures. Those voices leave us thinking that we are just not enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not talented enough. We're not skilled enough. We're not strong enough. We're not liked enough. We're not fun enough. Where do those voices of doubt and insecurity come from? Well, what I have discovered is that, you, that they can come from almost anywhere. An unstable home, a loss in your life, personal limitations, a hurtful experience, abuse. It can even come from an acquaintance's Instagram post or even a simple comment that sticks to your soul. You know, I grew up feeling loved and cherished by my parents. I was part of wonderful faith communities where people modeled for me what it meant to follow Jesus. They invested in me. And one would think that growing up in that kind of environment, that insecurity would not be a part of my story. But I have to say it is, and it was. And my mentor could see the quest I was on in, uh, in col my college days to find acceptance and, and significance before I even realized what I was actually doing, what I was actually searching for. She saw that beneath the outward appearances of any kind of confidence of, or you know, of someone in a student leadership role, that I actually had a thirst. I had a real longing to be enough in my soul. And where did my feeling of not being enough come from? Well, the answer lies in that imaginary box of mine, imaginary memory box. And in this box, there are items that represent memories with uh, statements attached to each one about who I used to think I was. And if I were to pull out a few of those memories for you tonight, these would be some. A photo of me bawling on my front doorstep when I was seven years old, feeling so utterly alone. How many of you are an only child? How many of you are firstborn? How many of you are a middle child? How many of you are the baby of the family? <laughs> There's a lot of them out there. Well, you know, psychologists say that birth order significantly influences personality. And at different points, <laughs> points in my life, I was all of those. I was, when I was born, I had three older siblings, much older than I was. They were the children of my father, so I became the baby of the family. But by the time that I was two years old, the last of my si siblings moved away from home, and now I was an only child. And I was that way for six years. And at the age of eight, my parents adopted a three-year-old girl, and now I became like the firstborn in the family, but in reality, in the family makeup, I was really the fourth child, so not the first, not the last, but the middle child, and 
It's like, yikes, no wonder I had some confusion going on in my head. But back to the photo of me at age seven crying on the steps. I had just been told by the neighbor kids, which were actually my nieces and nephews, four of them who were very close in age to myself. And they began to tell me that they no longer wanted to play with me, that their playtime was for family only. I thought I was their family. And the feeling of loneliness that I had already coupled with that statement absolutely seared my soul. In that day, on the back of that photo, I wrote, I don't belong. I'm not enough. Another item I would pull out for you from this imagine, imaginary memory box is a grade three report card. My mom came home from a parent-teacher interview at the end of one term, and she said, um, Carolyn, Mrs. Plowman says that you are a bossy girl. Bossy? Mom, I'm just trying to organize some things to do on the playground. Well, my mom said, Carolyn, she thinks you're bossy. And as I got older, I had to wonder, did Mrs. Plowman tell boys that they were bossy when they organized stuff on the playground? But it made me feel like I better pull back. The statement I wrote in the memory card of that report card was, I'm bossy. I'm too much. You know, two years ago, when I heard Sheryl Sandberg, who's the COO of Facebook, at the Global Leadership Summit, Summit say, I want every little girl who someone says they're bossy to be told instead, you have leadership skills. And I felt like standing up at that conference and shouting, yes, I'm not bossy. I have leadership skills. <laughs> well, as I <laughs> dig further into my memory box, I would pull out a junior high class photo, and I would be able to show you the most athletic guy and the most athletic girl. And I wished that I had half the skills that they had. You see, my, my poor athleticism showed up every time when the gym teacher would have us divide up into teams, and he would have the, the strongest athlete of the males and the strongest athlete of the girls pick their teams. And guess who was chosen last? It was Heather. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I was second last. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I was really, really upset when Heather was sick and wasn't at gym class <laughs> because then I was last. And on the back of that class photo, I would write this statement. I'm not skilled. I'm not enough. In that same section of the memory box, I would pull out a curling iron. Yes, a curling iron. And it wasn't just to curl my hair. It was also my microphone. You see, I would sing into my curling iron in front of the mirror, pretending to be on stage with an adoring audience looking at me and cheering for me and my great singing skills. 
Now, I had some skills musically. I played the piano, and I loved to sing. And because of that, my friends and I formed a little music group. And we called ourselves Special Delivery. <laughs> I know, like so corny. But that, <laughs> that title came from a song that we, we like to sing. But here's the thing. My friends could sing so much better than I could. And comparison got the best of me. I pulled away. And I said, I'm not singing anymore. The message I attached to the cord of that curling iron was, everyone is better than me. I'm not enough. In my memory box is also a mirror, but not just any mirror. This mirror actually has the faces of two guys I liked in high school embedded on it. Let's face it, we sometimes use guys like mirrors to let us know if we're valuable, if we're beautiful, if we're desirable, if we're lovable, acceptable. And the two guys that I was looking to then to determine my worth weren't interested enough to continue to date me. And on the back of that mirror, I wrote this. I'm not worth pursuing. I'm not enough. What is in your memory box that has left you with thoughts in your mind that say that you're not enough? You're not worth wanting. You're not worth loving. You're not worth pursuing. You're not worth being included. You're not worth keeping. You're not worth hiring. You're not worth noticing that you are simply not enough. And you know what happens? Our spiritual enemy, Satan, he uses those circumstances, those comments, and those comparisons to continually attack our identity. And if he can keep you from being you, and if he can destroy or distort your identity, he knows he'll hold you back. It's going to slow you down. And that you will miss out on who you really are and what you were meant to do on this earth. You know, a lot of times we're oblivious to his schemes because he often uses everyday good things that keep us from going in the right direction that will quench our soul thirsts for acceptance and for significance. We'll look to technology. We look to social media, the number of likes and comments on our posts. We look to Netflix and food and wine and shopping and friends and guys. And he will even use good life goals to say, you will be enough when you're dating, when you're engaged, when you're done university, when you have that dream job, when you get married, when you have kids, then you'll be enough. Well, let me tell you, I've experienced all of those things and in and of themselves, these wonderful desires and dreams they do not have the power to make you feel like you're enough. My mentor, Annette, knew this from her own life experiences, and she knew my tendencies were to look to other people for my significance and my security. And so she challenged me to go to the source of my identity, and I've never forgotten it. And that source is my creator, the God of the Bible, 
there was a king and a follower of God named David, and he wrote in a book filled with poems and songs in the Old Testament, in Psalm 139, these words. He said this about God. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. How wonderfully we are made. We don't only have those incredible words, but God went to great lengths to show humankind how he felt about us. The Bible says this, for God expressed his love for the world in this way. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not face everlasting destruction, but will have everlasting life. God's value of his creation is absolutely extraordinary. And he went to great lengths to show us just how much he loves us and how much he values us. He voluntarily gave his life so that if we choose to believe in him and follow him, we will have eternal life. But this gift that he offers isn't just for after we die. It is for right now, right here. In fact, Jesus said that he was the answer to everyone's thirsty soul, and he said this to a woman. And we find her story in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. This woman had two strikes against her as far as the culture of, of her day was concerned. She was a Samaritan, and she was a woman. And this lady knew the sting of racism, and she knew the sting of sexism. So it's not hard to imagine that she would struggle, just like us, with feelings that she was not enough. And to top it all off, she had one failed marriage after another, five to be exact, five different marriages, five different beds, five different rejections. She knew what it was like to love and not be loved in return. And her current partner was not committed enough to marry her. He only gave her his bed to sleep in. And on this particular day, she came to the community well at noon to get water. And this was a really odd time to come get water. The women typically would have come to fill their water buckets at sunrise when it was still cool out. But this woman, she chose the hottest time of the day to come. And maybe for her, a walk in the hot sun was better than facing the heat of the other women's disdain for her. But as she approached this well, she saw a Jewish man sitting there. And he said, please give me a drink. His request startled her. The Jews had refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And not only that, but it was shocking that a man would speak to a woman in, pu in a public setting. Let's pick up the story in verse 9 of John chapter 4. Jesus, or she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, 
if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give to you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and this well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give, I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. This conversation with Jesus was transformational for her. Here was a Jew who didn't care that she was a Samaritan. And here was a man who didn't look down on her for being a woman. And he spoke to her with such kindness, offering her this incredible gift that would actually quench her thirsty soul. Well, they had further conversation about her life. And she was shocked that he knew about her shameful past and still he spoke so kindly to her, projecting a more satisfying life for her future. And she realized this is actually Jesus, the Messiah, God in human flesh. And she got so excited about this that she ran back to the village shouting, God is here, God has come, God cares for me. And in her excitement, she leaves behind two things. She leaves her water jug, and she also leaves the ache in her heart of, I'm not enough. This woman who once seemed to live a life in hiding, she's now excitedly racing to the village to tell everybody about Jesus and the gift that he was offering. And in verse 39, it says that many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus after what she had said. Mul multiple lives were changed that day because of this woman's encounter with Jesus. You know, Jesus could have chosen to meet up with a government official of the village. He could have met up with a businessman in the town. He could have even sent a few of his male disciples to go tell the people in the village about this incredible gift that he was offering. But no, he chose to speak to an ostracized woman, and her testimony changed a village. Amazing. Jesus' approach to women was revolutionary for his era. The way he engaged with this woman in conversation, and, and not only her, but many women in the Bible, the way he speaks to them, the way he places value upon them. And Jesus places value upon you and upon me, and he wants us free of the ache of I'm not enough. And he says to us tonight, if only you knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you. If you did, you'd ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. Time with Jesus changed this Samaritan woman, 
and time spent with Jesus will change Winnipeg women too. You know, a number of years ago, I began a practice that I call chair time with Jesus. And every morning, I go to my chair with a coffee in hand, and I open my Bible, and I read it, and I pray. And I have to tell you that I've come to learn that by this time of just lingering some, a few minutes with Jesus in the morning, it heals the ache of the days that I feel like I'm not enough. And time with Jesus, it reminds me of my identity and the incredible God story that I get to be a part of. You know, I spent too many years looking for my identity elsewhere, something to fill that thirst in my soul. Oh, I loved Jesus, and I was even serving him, but I wasn't taking the time to listen to him. Lisa Turkhurst, who's an author and speaker, says this, it is dangerous when our soul is gasping for God, but we are too distracted, flirting with the world to even notice. The world entices our flesh, but it never embraces our soul. The looks, the clothes, the guys, the degree, the ring, the likes, the comments, they're all very alluring, and they make us feel enough for a while, but it won't last. There's only one that can make us feel enough, and it's Jesus, to have our soul embraced by him. And in order to do that, we need to connect with the beautiful story of the Bible. And we need to allow Jesus to tweak us, to mold us, to fill us, and to come to know who he really is and who we really are because of him. You know, those thoughts and those statements that are written on the memories of your life, they can be replaced with truth, with truth tonight. We just need to start believing and attaching God's statements to our lives, statements like this one, one of my favorites. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I've drawn you to myself, he, he says in Jeremiah 31, 3. You see, God's love is not an, I'll love you if. That's not him. He says, I love you, period. My love for you is constant, and my love for you is lasting. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Really? Yeah, really. In our moments of questioning, I can hear Jesus say the same thing that he said to the Samaritan woman. If only you knew who I am. If only you knew that I am the God of love. In 1 John chapter 4, he says, God is love. You know, I think you would agree with me that some of our deepest wounds come from rejection. And we often try to put a Band-Aid over those wounds by seeking acceptance from other people, or it's often actually done in very unhealthy ways. And God says, wait, girls, here's another statement to attach to your life. I've chosen you, and I have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you, he says in Isaiah 41, verse 9 and 10. And then he says, and here's one more, girls. 
but you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. And he did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. You may not have been chosen for that award or that job or that university. You may not even have been chosen by that guy that you liked. And in fact, you might have been one of the ones that was chosen last for the game. But Jesus is saying to you tonight, you, you are my chosen treasure. I choose you. And you wonder, treasure, really? Am I really a treasure? If you knew how many times I messed up, if you knew how many times I have fallen short. But I know God says, no, I've got a gift for you. Attach this one to your life. Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kindness. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Jesus forgives us immediately. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't keep a record of all of our mistakes. Psalm 103 verse 12 says that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. In Isaiah 1.18, he says, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Now, this can be a hard concept for us human grudge holders. You know, our world puts all sorts of labels on us, and it often labels us according to the bad stuff we do, according to our sins. You know, I caught myself doing that yesterday. I saw a woman who I've never even met, but I know her past. And you know what the first thought was when I saw her? Oh, she's the one that had that affair. When I thought that, I thought, oh my goodness, Jesus, please forgive me. That's not how you see her. You say, hey, she's my daughter. She is the one that I have chosen. She is my treasured possession. With God, when a sin has been confessed, it is forgiven once and for all. It's done. There's no labeling with God. There's not even a reminder of the past mistakes we have made. He's removed them from us. Our sin gets wiped away, and we are white as snow. Girls, we are loved with an everlasting love. We are God's chosen treasures. And if we choose to follow him, we become his children, which makes us daughters of a creator, daughters of the king. We've been forgiven. We're no longer victims of sin. We've been set free. And the list could go on and on. But tonight, I would like to project my hope 
on the screen of your future, just as my mentor did for me when I was a young woman. My hope for you, Glow Girls, is that you would seek to find your identity in Jesus Christ, that you would connect to the beautiful story of the Bible, that you would discover who God is, that you would receive living water for your thirsty soul, and that you would attach the statements of who you are and who God says you are to your life. I told the GLOW leadership team that I would like for you to walk away with something tonight, something tangible, a reminder of God's love and of his care for you, and that he chooses you. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Jesus preaching a sermon, and he's telling people not to worry about their everyday life, that life is more than the external. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 to 30, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the flowers of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? We worry a lot, don't we? We worry about what to wear. We worry what school to go to. We worry, wonder, will that guy ask me out? We worry about what she thinks about me, and on and on. And Jesus says, I don't want you to worry. I take care of all of the world's beautiful flowers, and I care about you so much more. So tonight, I would like you to take one of these roses and what I want you to do is to hold it and to think about God's love for you, how much he cares about you, how much he desires to see you set free to really live in the way that he wants you to live, to fulfill the dreams that he gives you. And one thing I would encourage you to do once, you know, the flower is... Uh, coming to an end of its life cycle, to uh, put it into your Bible. Um, when I was in Israel a year and a half ago, I went, uh, we were around a sycamore tree, and I picked up this leaf from the tree, and I keep it in my Bible. And you know what? It, it just always reminds me of a little guy named Zacchaeus who didn't feel like he was enough. And he was in a tree and didn't think that because he was short and he couldn't see Jesus through the crowd. And he never believed in all of his days that he would actually get to meet Jesus. And Jesus comes to him and he says, I want to come to your house today for supper. And you know, every time I, I see this sycamore leaf, I, I think of that. I think of Jesus choosing sometimes people that you would never think he would choose, but he chooses all of us, and he loves us so much. And so what I'd like you to do is, when that rose comes to, to the end, to press it, to put it in your Bible, 
And every time you open the Bible to remember what Jesus says about you, that you are so valuable. And don't let anyone tell you different. We're going to sing a song uh, tonight. It's, it's one of my most favorite songs. It's called You Say. It's all about what Jesus says of who we are. It's so powerful. And while this song is being played, I would like you to just come up. There's roses at, the, at every aisle. And take a rose back with you. And may this rose be something that um, just helps you to remember Jesus' great love for you. I don't know how many of you watch The Bachelor. I have, uh, I have um, not so great things to say about The Bachelor, <laughs> um, about the show. Um, there's a lot that is just, it turns my stomach. But here's the thing. You know, he, he stands there at the end of the show and he says, uh, take my rose, will you accept it, or whatever he says. Um, and these women, they find their significance in something that this guy is saying. But here tonight is a rose for you, a rose from Jesus. He says, I choose you. I choose you.